big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. I was also wondering if your family was so shitty, why I'm so into you. Will you marry me? If Adele wrote Pride and Prejudice. She basically is writing about the same feelings. Wait. I want to write that song. Hello. It's Collins. I was wondering if after all these weeks you'd like to marry me. You know, I have the patronage of the esteemed... Fascinating lady, the great Catherine de Berg. I'm dead. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Molly. This is Becca. Welcome to Pod and Prejudice. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. Woohoo! So, for those just joining now, the gist of this is that I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen novels. And I, Molly, have never picked up a single one in my whole 25 years. So we're reading Pride and Prejudice to culture Molly. And to break it down from a 21st century feminist perspective. Sounds good, right? It's really good. You should listen to the whole thing from the beginning. But if you're joining us now, we are on chapters 17 to 19 of volume the second. Which is the end of volume the second. There's a whole other volume. I know. Becca knew. I didn't know. <laughs> well, you did know. You saw how long the book was. Yeah, I did. I just was like, how is it going to be this long? We started the book in a very specific place. And by the end of volume the first, what we had was the very beginning of the book. You didn't know anybody. You didn't know anything. You just were going off a of pure instinct and learning the world of Austin. By the end of volume the first, we had the Jingly heartbreak. We had the Collins proposals. And we had a better sense of who Elizabeth Bennet was. As we're finishing volume the second, we are at a completely different part of the story now. So where we are now is chapter 17 of volume the second. Let's dive in. Lizzie has been holding in this secret about the Darcy proposal, and she just can't hold it in any longer. So she tells Jane, but she is sure to leave out everything having to do with Bingley. As we discussed last time, there is one of two ways to think about this. Lizzie chose way one, which you agreed with. I thought way two was better, but it's Lizzie's call. I think it's fair to not want to re-aggravate Jane in her heartbreak. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think Jane is more fragile than we can let on, and I think we actually do let on in this chapter. So Jane's at first surprised about the proposal, but then her sisterly notions kick in and she's like, of course he was in love with you. How could he not be? Oh my gosh. I, I really get like female friendship vibes yeah, from this. Like, oh, so obviously he's in love with you. Every single time one of my friends doesn't realize that someone's in love with them, I'm like, no, obviously. Yeah. Then she starts feeling bad for Darcy. And my first instinct was to be like, Jane, but then I realized that we're on Darcy's side now. <laughs> Did you forget? Yeah. You you had him win the last set of chapters. I love him, I but know. I forgot. You can look at my notes here. Jane! But you are Jane now. I am the Jane now. Anyway. She says he shouldn't have been so sure of succeeding, but the fact that he was made him probably even more disappointed. And Lizzie is like, yeah, sure, I feel bad for him, but he's going to get over it. And then she asks Jane if Jane thought she was wrong for speaking so well of Wickham in her defense and for turning him down. And Jane says no. Because, oh, she brought up everything about Wickham, but just not And I, I love there's a line in there about how it basically broke Jane's brain to hear that someone did something so bad. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, Lizzie is like, just you wait. 
listen to the letter. So she tells her all about the letter and this is the meat of the subject. And then it says, poor Jane, who would willingly have gone through the world without believing that so much wickedness existed in the whole race of mankind as was here collected in one individual. Oh, Jane. Yeah. She's really got some like Leslie Nope energy there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Jane wants to somehow find a way to clear both men. She wants them both to be in the right. And Lizzie's like, only one of them can be right. You have to pick. I picked Darcy. This is so funny because they basically had the same conversation so many chapters ago where she was like, only one of them can be right. I choose Wickham. Oh my God. You're right. Jane Austen is so smart, guys. Wow. (laughs) My mind is blown. I don't know about y'all. Oh, oops. My voice went off the chart. This is a very emotional time. This is. This is a very prideful and prejudiced time. I might cry during this chapter. We'll see. We'll see. So Jane is like, this is. This is too much. Jane says, nope, I'm not picking. She asks if Lizzie is just as upset as she is. And Lizzie says that Jane is upset enough for the both of them. For those of you who are like me and reading this book, I've gone ahead and looked up words that were confusing to me. And in this moment, Lizzie says that Jane has a profusion of sadness or something like that and profusion means abundance or large quantity it does indeed jane then says poor wickham no not poor wickham but anyway poor wickham there is such an expression of goodness in his countenance such an openness and gentleness in his manner jane honey we know he's hot they are so focused on how fucking hot wickham is so hot he's so hot but He's a dick. And then Lizzie says there must have been something wrong with the education of these two men because one has got all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. Meaning Darcy has all of the goodness but doesn't appear good and Wickham has all the wickedness. Wickham! Wicked Wickham! Wicked Wickham! Oh boy! (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and has all the appearance of being good. And then Jane says that she thinks she never thought Darcy lacked the appearance of goodness as much as Lizzie did. She didn't ever think he was as bad as Lizzie thought he was. I mean, we can also go on this to say that Darcy has no ability to talk to other human beings. Wickham has only that ability. Yes. I I think this is also a really interesting point. Obviously, Lizzie was prejudiced against Darcy. It's in the title. But also, I do think there is truth to the idea that sometimes you're really drawn to shitty people Mm -hmm. and really nice people are people you cannot stand to be around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes... There are plenty of awesome, nice people Oh, we there. love nice people. And there are plenty of... We happen who... to like nice men. That's just not true, though. Listen. I happen to like nice men. Oh, I'm sorry. I happen to like, <laughs> quote, nice women. <laughs> I was being Leia. I, I understood, oh, okay. but it was factually inaccurate for you. <laughs> well, no, sometimes I like men. That's true. I've been talking about this with my therapist. I think I'm like... Probably 70-30. That's fair. Yeah. Sexuality is a spectrum. It's fluid. You can just, you can pick one, one day you might feel one way and then another day day you might be like, no, thank you. One day you kind of want to fuck Darcy. The other day you kind of want to fuck Lizzie. Exactly. We've all been there. Yeah, we should get t-shirts. Sometimes I want to fuck Darcy. Sometimes I want to fuck Lizzie. Would people buy those (laughs) t-shirts? Let us know in the comments. Back to this incredibly buttoned up book. I wanted to read the passage that followed this a lot of help what does it mean in my notes this week okay 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 so after jane says that she never thought darcy was as bad as lizzie thought he was lizzie says and yet i meant to be uncommonly clever in taking a decided dislike to him without any reason it is such a spur to one's genius such an opening for wit to have a dislike of that kind one may be continually abusive without saying anything just but one cannot always be laughing at a man without now and then stumbling on something witty what does that mean Basically, Jane Austen is inventing bitch cracker syndrome, right? Explain how. And yet, I am meant to be uncommonly clever in taking so decided a dislike in him without any reason. It is such a spur to one's genius, such an opening for wit, to have a dislike of that kind. That means that when you give yourself the opportunity to really hate someone, yes. have you ever, like, let yourself entirely go? Like, I'm a very mean person deep down, I think. Becca! <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mean person, but I'm also a good person, I yes. think. So a lot of the time when I have mean thoughts, I don't share them because they're mostly tempered by really nice thoughts. Mm -hmm. So even if I think of something clever to say that's not necessarily kind to someone, I won't say it or think it's a good thing to think 
because that person oh. is the type of person who doesn't deserve it. Like if someone's fashion is really bad or something and I'm like, oh, that's a choice. I won't necessarily say it if they're a really kind person who feels really good about themselves oh. in fashion. If you really hate someone, you can go to the far extreme of allowing yourself to be as bitchy as you want and as clever as you yeah. want to be. Yeah, so she's saying that like, she just was like, you know what? I hated him and I went off on him. She was basically saying, I used it as an excuse to be like, I am so above him and I'm so clever. And she got to be clever and clever and clever in her hatred of him. And that's why their banter was so hot. That is part of why their banter was so hot. I mean, Lizzie is still a dumbass. Yes. <laughs> because banter that is just bickering flirtation is so hot. She clearly was enjoying herself so much doing it and that's kind of what she's saying here. She's also just saying that she felt okay doing it because she had cultivated this real dislike for him, aka this bitch cracker syndrome for him. For those who don't know what bitch cracker syndrome is, please go back to episode two of this podcast for a full definition. I'm so glad that you remember when we say these things. I have to use this Rolodex for something. It's like law <laughs> school in this podcast. <laughs> then Jane says that she's sure when Lizzie first read this letter, she was not being so casual about her emotions. And Lizzie says, no, I was very upset. I wished you were there. Then Jane marvels at how wrong Lizzie was about both men. I mean, we all did. <laughs> Lizzie says that she spoke so bitterly as a natural consequence of her prejudice. It's in the title. Wait, Graham, the sound effect. It's in the title. <laughs> the sound effects in the last episode were so good. Shout out to Graham for uh, letting me yell at him to add sound effects in at certain points in time. We love you, Graham. We love you, Graham. Then Lizzie wonders if she should tell everyone about Wickham. And I just started screaming because Darcy told her not to and she promised. Did she promise? She did. She didn't. she didn't promise, but he asked for her discretion. They come to a conclusion together after some back and forth that... Everyone in Maryton hates Darcy too much right now to have their minds changed. It said something like, it would be the death of every good person in Maryton to have their minds changed. Something like that. I'm not clear in this part whether or not we actually are talking about telling the Georgiana part of the story. Because Darcy doesn't care if people know the other part of the Wickham story. It's just the Georgie part. Oh, okay. That's because... fair. Well, I still don't think that they should tell. It says whether or not to make our acquaintance in general understand Wickham's character. So like to say Wickham sucks to everyone one and Darcy's actually an okay guy. Basically their thought around this is that everyone in the town hates Darcy. Maybe the money. They're talking about the living. That's exactly yeah. what they're talking about. The, the drinking and the living and the trying to mooch off the Darcy's, not the ruining of Georgiana's reputation. Yeah. Because that part is obviously something that needs to stay under wraps. Yeah. But the rest of it is something that I would say is a fair debate to have because if you know that someone's a really shitty person, like if for example, you know I think we all know people like this. There is some guy out there being very vocally feminist and you have friends who have had seedy interactions with him. Mm -hmm. Then it feels really shitty to keep that under wraps. Yes. And you usually do to protect your friend who does not feel comfortable coming forward. But I wouldn't be like opposed to being like, I have my issues with that guy. He's a dick. Right. And I usually do. If I do say that about a guy, oftentimes... It's because I know he did something shitty. It's important that we stand behind Darcy in this moment. We do not stand Wickham. We do not stand Wickham. We actively despise him. We actively despise him, but it's true that their conclusion that they come to is that Wickham is leaving in a couple weeks and everyone's going to forget about him. I think, yeah, I think the reason that they decide not to tell everyone makes sense I just am saying, like, that's the rationale behind the want to tell everybody. Yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to, if it were me, telling everyone that Wickham sucks. But what I really want is for them to tell everyone that Darcy was not in the wrong. Because what sucks more is that Darcy is getting shat on by everybody because Wickham's out there telling lies to everyone at Longbourn and Maryton. Like, now that Darcy's gone, Wickham's literally been talking about nothing else. So, f fuck him. I wish they would tell that Darcy was not in the wrong. I don't really care what they say about Wickham. But anyway, what they decide... So you're more team to defend Darcy than team to fame Wickham? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. I think I'm more team to fame Wickham, but maybe I'm just more vindictive. 
I mean, I hate Wickham. Yeah. And I wish that they could do all of the things, but I also get that, like, in defaming Wickham, they might say something about Darcy. That's fair. I meant not Darcy, uh, Georgie. That's fair. Yeah. And also, I do think there's a fairness to their assessment of not defending Darcy because it's a lost cause. Right. All of their decisions are fine and make sense. Also, it would be cool if everything was set straight, but then we wouldn't have a volume the third. So, moving forward, they think that after Wickham is gone, everyone will find out eventually that he sucks, and then they can laugh at everyone for not having known sooner. That's their plan. Then Lizzie is still holding back this one secret about Bingley, but she knows she can never tell. She thinks that maybe once everyone is in the clear and everyone's told everyone all the secrets, Bingley can explain himself and that's her only comfort, but she knows it's not her secret to tell. Sadly, then we get find out that Jane is still very much in love with Bingley and she's still moping around. Some people are prone to fall in love a lot and some people are prone to fall in love very rarely and very deeply. Mm-hmm. And Jane is one of those who is not going to give her heart to a lot of dudes. She really gave it hard to this one dude and things did not go well. So she is taking her time to heal. As she deserves to. We really need Lizzo in this time period, we honestly. Do. Last time I went through a breakup, Lizzo had like just come out with Cause I Love You and it just, oh. it was like perfect. <laughs> Lizzie? Lizzo? I don't know what it means. I'm crying because I was wrong about Wickham and Darcy. I'm crying because I was wrong about Wickham and Darcy. <laughs> or why men great till they gotta be great. I just took a DNA test. Turns out that song's I'm basically Bennett. <laughs> that song's basically already all set. There. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. our point is Lizzo. Even when I'm crying to... crazy, yeah, I got boy problems. That's the human in me. <laughs> I think if we say any more, we have to pay for the song. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Okay. But so. if Lizzo, you would like to come on this podcast. As always, yeah, you're, you're welcome to join I, us. I reiterate that we might not be able to handle it, but we would sacrifice our own mental health to have the glory of you having you here. Any, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> so then we get, move on to a Mrs. Bennett-Lizzie conversation. Mrs. Bennett still very much hates Bingley. Very loudly, all the time. And she mentions to Lizzie that This is literally my mom. (laughs) She mentions to Lizzie that there hasn't been any word of him returning to Netherfield, and Lizzie says she doesn't think he ever will. And then Mrs. Bennett is like, well, that's okay, we didn't want him here anyway. (laughs) Has your mom ever witnessed you go through a breakup? I can say that Mrs. Bennett is channeling my mother, Antonia. Shout out, Antonia. We love you. We love you, Antonia. They're very much like this when one of your daughters breaks up with someone. Then she says something that I'm sure your mom would not say, but I wrote it down because what the fuck? Well, my comfort is I am sure Jane will die of a broken heart and then he will be sorry for what he has done. So vicious and Literally, what the fuck? What? She just would prefer that Bingley suffer. We've learned that Mrs. Bennet is willing to sacrifice the health of Jane for Mr. Bingley. Oh, yes. For the marriage of her daughter. Her daughter can suffer pneumonia. Exactly. And for the regret of her spurned lover, (laughs) her daughter can suffer death. So then they discuss Charlotte's home, and Mrs. Bennet says she's sure that Charlotte is an excellent manager of money, and that's why their home is sparse and she's sure that they talk a lot about how Longbourn will be theirs once Mr. Bennett dies and Lizzie's like they didn't talk about it to me and she's like well I'm sure they talk about it amongst themselves and then she says well you know it's not even lawfully theirs I should be ashamed of having an estate that was only entailed on me. It is weird though because I actually do think Charlotte is a little ashamed. Probably. I mean, it's her best friend's family. I think that Collins feels bad about it, but, like, not in a way he would change it. I think Charlotte might genuinely feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. So, chapter 18, a week goes by, and now it's the last week that the regiment will be in town, and all the young ladies are drooping apace. This is so thirsty. This chapter is hilarious. Everyone's depressed. Only Lizzie and Jane are able to eat, drink, and sleep. Which, Mary, we thought we've been over this. Yeah, Mary. I don't understand why Mary's You're not into the soldiers, Mary. Come on. Mary's into the wives of the soldiers. Mary's really into her dead bug collection. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Kitia is shocked that they aren't more depressed, and even Mrs. Bennet shares in their grief, having gone through something similar about 25 years ago. The libido on this woman. Truly. (laughs) We get into some Mrs. Bennet stuff in these chapters. we'll get there. Yeah. (laughs) Mrs. Bennet and Kitty are talking about how great it would be if they could go to Brighton and Lizzie wishes that she could just laugh at them but she can't now that she 
is just hearing Mr. Darcy's letter ringing in her head. Again, we've talked about this perspective shift for Lizzie, how you as the reader are getting a different lens on the Bennett family yeah. since the Darcy letter. Yeah, it's so well constructed. Janie. Jane Ugh. Austen. Anyway, this chapter was hard for me to summarize. There's a lot that happens in it. There's a lot that happens and it's all in these like beautiful, hilarious paragraphs. So anyway, Lydia receives an invite from her good friend, Mrs. Forrester, to accompany them to Brighton. Just Lydia, no one else. And quote, the rapture of Lydia on this occasion, her adoration of Mrs. Forrester, and the mortification of Kitty are scarcely to be described. Ah! Basically, Lydia won't shut up about it, and she's running around the house laughing and talking with more violence than ever. This is exactly what Lizzie is doing with the gardeners. Like, you're going out to see the world and yeah. be presented in society. Except Lydia's going with her equally silly friend, Mrs. Forster, mm -hmm. who's married to Colonel Forster. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, Lydia's going to South Beach for spring break. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Kitty? Pissed. She thinks that Mrs. Forster should have invited her too, even though they're not even friends. And I wrote that even Kittya thinks that Kittya is one person. Seriously. Also, in what moment did Lydia spend outside of Kitty's company to become friends with Mrs. Forster? That's true. I don't know. How? One of her sources of indignation is that she's two years older, which means that we have almost a complete set of their ages now. I think we are still unsure about Mary, but Lydia is 15, Kitty is 17, Mary is either 18 or 19, Lizzie is 20, and Jane is 21. Jane is 22. Jane is, fuck, I typed that and then I deleted it and wrote 21. Nope, she's 22. Damn because it. I remember Lydia was being all bitchy and being like, oh my god, you're almost three and 20. Oh. I'm not married. Right. And Lizzie is almost one, one and 20. 20. Got it. Lizzie secretly asks her dad not to let Lydia go to Brighton. And this was a move on Lizzie's part. She says that Lydia is already behaving inappropriately in general. And to go and be with someone like Mrs. Forrester in Brighton, where the temptations will be greater than at home. She'll be unsupervised. There will be a lot of hot men there. South Beach spring break. Exactly. And Daddy Bennett says that Lydia will never be easy till she has exposed herself in some public place or other. <laughs> South Beach spring break! <laughs> We can never expect her to do it with so little expense or inconvenience to her family as under the present circumstances. Basically saying, it's not under my nose, so I don't care. The reason that Lizzie's really pushing this, in my opinion, is that one of these girls has already lost out on a spouse. Oh, and boy, does she tell her daddy. Oh, yes. Lizzie says that he would feel differently if he knew what would come of or has already come of her behavior. And Daddy Bennett says, Already arisen, repeated Mr. Bennett. What? Has she frightened away some of your lovers? Poor little Lizzie. But do not be cast down. Such squeamish youths as cannot bear to be connected with a little absurdity are not worth a regret. Come, let me see the list of the pitiful fellows who have been kept aloof by Lydia's folly. <laughs> And I drew little hearts all around it. You just love Daddy Bennett. I really do. Oh, man. Then Lizzie just rips Lydia a new one, saying that she's, um... The worst kind of flirt. The worst kind of flirt, and that Kitty will just follow whatever she does, and that they're vain, ignorant, idle, absolutely uncontrolled, that they're just bringing down the reputation of the whole family, especially the sisters. And he says she shouldn't worry. She has three silly sisters. Even Mary is included in this. Well, I mean, he's seen the simple plan poster and he was like, I can't support this. Right. And he says that nobody thinks ill of her or Jane because of the sisters. He also says that Lydia is too poor for any of the officers to actually want to marry her. So there's no danger. <laughs> and that being there might teach her her own insignificance. At any rate, she cannot grow many degrees worse without authorizing us to lock her up for the rest of her life. Good <laughs> Jesus. Lord. Lizzie gives up then and gets over it. It says that it's her duty to get over it. She has to be fine. And this is a recurring theme in this episode, I've noticed. Lizzie thinks to herself that if Lydia and Mrs. Bennett knew about this conversation, everyone would never hear the end of it because of their united volubility, which means incessant talkativeness. 
Lydia has a very specific view of what Brighton will be. This is a pretty funny description. She sees it with the streets. Uh, she oh, but hang on. She saw with the. Blah, blah, blah. the if anybody th- knows what Brighton actually looks like, I would love a picture of it because I bet it's just like a really boring English beach town. Unless if you're from Brighton and it's really nice. Sorry, but <laughs> Lydia sees it as a gay bathing place covered with officers. She saw herself the object of attention to tens and to scores of them at present unknown. She saw all the glory of the camp, its tents stretched forth in beauteous uniformity of lines, crowded with the young and the gay, and dazzling with scarlet, and to complete the view, she saw herself seated beneath a tent, tenderly flirting with at least six officers at once. That does sound fun. And she and Mrs. Bennet talk about it nonstop until it's time for her to go. We get to see Wickham one last time, and apparently Lizzie's actually seen him a few times since she's come back, but we haven't heard about them. And she has, like, avoided the fuck out of him. Yes. I do think there is, like, a little note in there, and maybe I'm making this up, that Wickham, since the old lady is gone, the one he was trying to woo, Mm. has started trying to flirt with Lizzie again. Oh, yeah, it says that Lizzie is now finding herself the object of his attentions once more, and it causes her revolt and disgust. (laughs) Yes. So I loved that. Oh my god. But also like the way her perception has shifted of him Mm -hmm. and how much she loved flirting with him before. Mm -hmm. And he's hot. What we have here is a situation I find personally hilarious, which is that Lizzie now hates him and her bitch cracker syndrome has turned on him. Yeah. And Wickham comes back. No idea. And he's like, okay, my plan to seduce the little orphan lady is over. Miss King. (laughs) Yes. Miss King. And now he's like, okay, now I get to like flirt with Lizzie Bennett again. And that means I get to do two of my favorite things, stare at boobs and shit on Darcy. (laughs) And Lizzie is not down for any of it. Yes. So speaking of Darcy, she doesn't really give a fuck anymore. And it's the regiment's last night and they're all coming to Longbourn to eat dinner. And Lizzie decides that because she doesn't give a fuck, she's going to mention that Fitzy and Darcy were at Rosings for three weeks. And Wickham says that Fitzy's manners are very different from his cousin's. And Lizzie says, yes, very different. But I think Mr. Darcy improves on acquaintance. I wanted to read this back and forth because it is just icy. Do you want me to be Lizzie or do you want me to be Wickham? I want to be Elizabeth. All right, I'm going to work on my sexy man voice. Uh, Does this sound like a guy who would uh, send you a dick pic over Snapchat? Yep. Yes, very different. But I think Mr. Darcy improves on acquaintance. Indeed. And pray may I ask, is it in address that he improves? Has he designed to add aught of civility to his ordinary style? For I dare not hope that he has improved in essentials. Oh, no. In essentials, I believe, he is very much what he ever was. When I said that he improved on acquaintance, I did not mean that either his mind or manners were in a state of improvement, but that from knowing him better, his disposition was better understood. You, who so well know my feelings towards Mr. Darcy, will readily comprehend how sincerely I must rejoice that he is wise enough to assume even the appearance of what is right. It's messy. Subtext, bitch. Oh my word. Wickham's just sitting there being like, does she know? He can't tell if she knows. And she's saying she doesn't know if he's improving or if she just understands him better. And Wickham is sitting there like sweating in his seat. After what we just read, he says that he thinks that he only acts, you know, like a better person around his aunt because he wants to impress her. And also because he was around baby DeBerg, who she knows he is engaged to be married to in some way or another. And Lizzie just gives a little smile and nod like, "Mm, okay, because she knows that's not the case. I think what we really have here is the most buttoned up way to diss someone that is possible. And I think it's funny because it's so contrasted with Proposal Geddon mm-hmm. as a way to tell somebody off. But it kind yeah. of like makes more sense. It's in its own way satisfying. It's satisfying, yeah. So R.I.P. Wickham. Yes. They part that night with every appearance of cheerfulness, but possibly with a mutual desire never to see each other again. And I think that that's quite possible. Lydia leaves with the Forsters that night and the goodbyes are noisy. Kitty's just keening in the corner. Kitty is so upset. Mrs. Bennett is like, enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself. And the other sister's goodbyes were uttered without being heard because Lydia doesn't care. 
Moving on. Chapter 19. The final chapter of volume the second. This is where we get into some hardcore deep looks at Mrs. and Mr. Bennett. And I have to say before we begin, I do not appreciate that we are looking at Mr. Bennett in a negative light. Yeah, we are getting a critique of Daddy Bennett here. And I, I don't I don't like to critique my favorite character. <laughs> so Lizzie, if she were to look at her own family and that was the only place that she got her opinions on relationships, she could not find a picture of conjugal felicity or domestic comfort. Conjugal meaning having to do with marriage, basically saying that her family, her parents are not happy together. Mm. And this we know, but she goes on to reveal that when her dad was young, he was captivated by youth and beauty, and therefore he married her mom without realizing that she is the way that she is, uh, because she was hot and very much like Lydia. And he seduced her as Daddy Bennett. Because he's hot. <laughs> All his views of domestic happiness were overthrown. But luckily, he has the countryside and his books, so that's where he draws most of his entertainment. And also, his wife's ignorance and folly contribute to his amusement. Quote, This is not the sort of happiness which a man would in general wish to owe to his wife, but where other powers of entertainment are wanting, the true philosopher will derive benefit from such as are given. So we haven't talked about the Bennett's relationship since like episode one of this holy podcast. shit we really haven't they're like very separate they do interact a lot mm -hmm. but we've been so driven by plot and all these other things going on they do open the story though this marriage yeah and in the first scene i thought their banter was kind of hot i think this is an interesting little tidbit and we'll get to this in the study questions because i think that you really get a lot of insight into how lizzie sees her parents marriage but Again, Lizzie's a certain kind of narrator. She has a very distinct view of her parents' marriage, and some of it is tied to what Jane Austen thinks about the marriage. From a reader's perspective, just looking at the factual circumstances, you could draw different conclusions. For example, when you first read this book... I'm reading. First, when you first read the first chapter of this book, you had said they have a certain kind of like sexual tension banter to them. Yeah. I don't think that's wrong. Right. Because their meeting is described as kind of like how Lydia flirts with everyone. Oh, Mr. Bennett. You have no compassion for my nerves. And they probably met. I'm thinking about them as young, hot people. Well, here's the other thing that is true about this story. Daddy Bennett is a good chunk older than Mrs. Bennett. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, and I think Lizzie is right that he must have been enamored with her sort of sprightly young energy. I've been picturing Mrs. Bennett as, like, old. And Daddy Bennett as Zachary Quinto? Swap those! Okay, as we've gone on through the podcast, I haven't brought this up in a while, Daddy Bennett has kind of ceased to look like Zachary Quinto in my mind and has started... <laughs> Who does he look like now? <laughs> Colin Firth! Wait, 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 wait. I can't breathe. <laughs> wait, like, like, like modern day Colin Firth or like, like 1990s Colin no, no, Firth? No, like modern day Colin Firth, kind of salt and pepper Colin Firth. <laughs> okay, okay. That's like not so bad, but I do want to remind you at one point on this podcast, you did say all of the men were Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. I know. And <laughs> except for Zachary Quinto. And then we added Kenneth Branagh as Collins. And do you stand by that one? I do stand by that one. Okay. Except also I could still see him as that statue. Colin Firth in the 90s plays every man except Colin Firth in 2020 plays Mr. Bennett. Yes. <laughs> Watching the movies with you is going to be so funny. I'm going to be so upset when Colin Firth isn't playing every character. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I reiterate, you're going to be disappointed by Daddy Bennett. But in any case, we'll so, get... But, but, but I have been picturing Mama Bennett as like a short, round, frumpy woman. Is she not? Is she in her 30s? Uh, no. She's I, in her 40s? I mean, it's not totally clear. Like their first names, I don't think we find out their ages. Well, if, but if Jane is 22, and we assume that she had her somewhere in her 20s, she's got to be in her 40s. She could have been like 18 when she had her, though. Easily. Okay, so at the youngest, she could be in her... At the very youngest, she could be 42. like... 
38. I can't do math. I can't do math. If she I had... was really smart in college, guys. If... No, guys, Molly is extremely smart. I'm really this smart. Is... I was salutatorian. That's not something I should, like, brag about still, yeah. but, like, I was. No, no, no. Molly is an incredibly smart woman, which is amazing. She doesn't need to be able to do math. I cannot do math. <laughs> you should see me in my classes where I have to calculate financial things. It's horrendous. But I think the earliest she could have had Jane realistically was like 16. I don't necessarily But I don't think, think she did. I don't think she was 16. So I think realistically, uh, Mrs. Bennett, it was probably in her mid 40s. And Daddy Bennett's probably in his 60s. Yeah, I would have gone with 50s. So Colin Firth is in his late 40s. Colin Firth is definitely older than that. No, we've had this conversation. Hey Siri, how old is Colin Firth? Colin Firth is 59 years old. Thanks, Siri. I thought we had this conversation before. No, we were talking about Zachary Quinto. Oh, right. Colin Firth as Daddy Bennett is the new... He's now the correct age, not the correct vibe. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's my vibe. Yeah, well, I mean, he's everyone's vibe. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. Anyway... Back to this book that we're reading. Yeah, we are going on. I do think there is, again, you get the the Darcy lens on Daddy Bennett. Mm -hmm. Now is making Lizzie turn her eye more critically on her father, who she's very close to. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get to that more in the study questions. I mm -hmm. think we can move on for now. She's always watched her parents as a couple and like seen her dad as how he is as a husband, but overlooked it because he's her favorite. And now she's kind of wishing that he had preserved the respectability of his daughters and like done a better job with Lydia and Kitty and Mary specifically. So I do think this is actually a fair critique of Daddy Bennett. It is, but... Yeah. Yeah, it is. He kind of laughs at them, but I like... I don't hate them. I mean, I do think you could look at it from two perspectives. From a modern dad perspective, we love a dad who lets his daughters be themselves. And Lizzie herself is benefiting from him being a little bit looser with his daughters. Yeah. Because he didn't make her marry Mr. Collins. And in this time period, really, he could have. Oh, yeah. And Lizzie's kind of being hypocritical in this, right? Because she gets to be herself, so why can't her sisters? Mm -hmm. At the same time... Lizzie's self is a little bit more appropriate than her sisters. There are certain things that Daddy Bennett could have done to more properly prepare his girls for the world. Like, Lydia and Kitty and... Well, Mary does have a sense of this, but Kitty doesn't seem to have a sense of the obligation to marry for money. The idea that they need to find a way in the world. Mm -hmm. They just kind of go off and flirt with soldiers all the time. Right, and soldiers are often yeah. poorer because that's where, like, Wickham mm -hmm. was there because he needs money. And also, you look at the way Lizzie talked about her education. Mm -hmm. And this is also on Mrs. Bennett, too. Like, this is not all on Daddy Bennett, but... Basically said, yeah, I had an education because I wanted one. My sisters didn't, so they didn't get one. That's bad. 
Mm -hmm. So that is where I'll go with the fair critique of Daddy Bennett on this. Lizzie thought that she would be much happier when Wickham was gone. But now that everyone else is sad and their gatherings are kind of monotonous and Lydia is kind of the worst, it once again happens that, quote, an event to which she had looked forward with an impatient desire did not, in taking place, bring all the satisfaction she had promised herself. Kind of like when she finally got to tell Darcy how she felt and yelled at him and then she cried a lot it's not the same situation but it's a similar vibe yeah lizzie lizzie's not the greatest predictor of what will make her happy as we've learned she actually is kind of aware of the fact that she gives herself too high expectations and lets herself down so she starts looking forward to her trip to the lakes and she thinks that it's good thing that jane isn't going because that lowers her expectations for the trip she's like really sad that jane won't be there but she's like in the end that will make the trip exceed my expectations. Oh, yeah. Well, this part of it won't be great, but the rest of it will be great. What if the rest yeah. of it isn't great, Lizzie? We'll get there. Yes. Lydia writes really short letters to Mrs. Bennett that don't really say much. This is such a mood. This was me at camp. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was so bad at writing letters to my parents, they were concerned. My parents I... wrote me a letter every day, and I wrote them a letter back. Oh, I love my parents, and they're amazing. I'm just such a bad writer. But you're not a bad writer. You write law things. Yeah, that's so different. Like, I am not a journaler. I have, oh, I'm a big journaler. I have had to journal for classes before, like acting classes, because when you go to hippie acting school, they make you do shit like that. <laughs> uh, we both went to the same hippie acting school. We did, we did. And we both went to similar hippie conservatories as mm -hmm. well. Like, we have done a lot of the same training, and you have to journal, and you are a journaler, and I am not. Mm. So I'm bad at communicating over a letter. Mm -hmm. I would not have been good in the Austin era at this sort of bullshit. But in any case... Uh, it does mention that her letters to Kitty are longer, but... She underlines too many words. I think that means that she's just like scribbling. I don't know. Basically, her, her letters look like your book. And they're just yeah. like, it's about a lot of excitement and emphasis and a lot of like emojis. Written yeah, in. I wrote same. <laughs> because her letters to Kitty, though rather longer, were too much full of lines under the words to be made public. So basically still don't really have that much information. I think basically what she's saying is that she's telling Kitty the more tawdry things. Yes. And, and those underlined words, we know what's underlined. Mm. Lydia is gone for two or three weeks before people start getting back to normal, and Mrs. Bennet is back to her querulous self. Querulous meaning complaining in a petulant or whining manner. <laughs> <laughs> and by the middle of June, Kitty is actually able to go to Meryton without crying, and Lizzie thinks that maybe by next year she may only mention an officer once a day unless by some cruel and malicious arrangement at the war office, another regiment should be courted in Meryton, to which I wrote, no, no, no. You agree with Lizzie on that? <laughs> yes, that would be terrible, and I hope that doesn't happen in this book. I doubt it does. Mrs. Gardner then writes to tell Lizzie that unfortunately, their trip to the lakes has to be postponed for two weeks, and they have to be back within a month for Mr. Gardner's work, which means that they don't have enough time to actually go to the lakes, and instead, they're gonna go to Derbyshire. Derbyshire. Derbyshire? Derbyshire. Derbyshire. <laughs> Derbyshire? <laughs> Siri, how do you pronounce Derbyshire? Here's what I found. Derbyshire. 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 Which is where Pemberley is. Which is where Darcy is from <laughs> to be completely honest at first i couldn't remember if darcy or wickham was from there and then i remembered that it was the both yes so. yes and salutatorian <laughs> and then lizzie is disappointed but it was her business to be satisfied and again she gets over it so i lizzie mean really is is like constantly taking one for the team i mean personally if my summer plans switched from the lakes to a place without the lakes, I'd be upset. I would be upset. But she just gets over it? Or she She's thinks... fine. She's, like, happy to be with the gardeners. Yeah. She is sure that she can enter his county with impunity. Impunity meaning exemption from punishment or freedom from the injurious consequences of an action. Which, uh, she didn't really do any. Like, he, do he you gave not her the letter... I remember what happened, but he gave her the letter, and then she read the letter, and she didn't get a chance to see him, and she secretly forgives him for everything and thinks that he's a good person now, and so really, I mean, I know that she turned him down, but, like, doesn't she want to see him and be like, sorry, I was a dick, are we cool? 
No, she does not want to do that. <laughs> if I were Lizzie, I would want to do that. No, first of all, do you remember her last words to him? Um, that there would be nothing in the world that would make me want to marry You are the like- last man on earth I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. So she's a little bit nervous that if she sees him... This is like a sloppy breakup is what this is. They didn't even... They weren't even dating, I know, though. but this is what it it's translating as. It was a proposal turned down. Proposal get in. It was proposal get in. It is awkward. Sure. She's embarrassed of how she acted. He's like hurt as fuck. Um, yeah. She doesn't know how he feels about how he acted. She's kind of still offended by the way he proposed to her. The whole thing is uncomfortable because now she has all this new information she doesn't know what to do with. It's a very awkward situation with two people who are awkward. They are both really (laughs) awkward. The gardeners come and they're leaving their four kids with Jane. Those four little kids that were like... Jane's here, Jane's here. She's their favorite. So that I mean, Jane is like a Disney princess of an aunt. We love Jane. Yes. Then we have a moment of the narrator popping out and saying, it is not the object of this work to give a description of Derbyshire, etc., etc., which I was interested in because we haven't really had a moment of the narrator talking about the fact that this is a book. Do you think that's what that is or am I misinterpreting? No, that's exactly what it is. We've had a few asides where Jane Austen has hinted at this being a thing, mm-hmm. but every so often she kind of does turn out and be like, It's the next morning now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is the most extreme example I think we've seen so far. Yes. They go to Lambden, which is within five miles of Pemberley. This is where Mrs. Gardner grew up, and she wants to go see Pemberley. This is a fun quirk of Austin novels. So nowadays, if you go to the UK, you can go like tour old castles and Mm -hmm. shit. What she wants to do, these old estates have these gorgeous grounds. They're right. like beautiful. Yeah. So the tourism thing to do is to walk around the grounds. Of a house where somebody lives. Yeah, of someone's legitimate property. Weird. Lizzie is distressed and she says, no, thank you. She's seen many great houses lately and she's tired of them. And Mrs. Gardner says what you just said. She says, it's not just a great house. It's the grounds we've got to go see. We love landscaping in this book. Oh my gosh. (laughs) If you love landscaping, there are moments you will see in Jane Austen where you will get a little oomph. I will say... 12 trees right over there. It happens to be something that I think the movies are a little bit better equipped to do for obvious reasons. Sure. I mean, my imagination can go wild. I picture... uh, Fancy. Fancy. Fancy Pemberley. What's it called in like France or Italy or Russia? Anyway. Yeah. Fancy. That makes sense. Lizzie. Are you thinking of Versailles? Yes, Versailles. (laughs) I cannot believe I got that. How did you get that? I was thinking, I was like, what's the most luxurious country palace? And I was like, Versailles. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's in France. (laughs) France, great. So Lizzie thinks about it and she thinks about how awful it would be to see Darcy and maybe she should just be honest with her aunt, but she decides to leave that as a last resort and instead asks a chambermaid if the family that owns Pemberley is in town for the summer, to which she receives a negative response. And then, therefore, to Pemberley they were to go. And that's the end of volume the second. That is the end of volume the second, and, and my prediction is that Darcy's gonna be at Pemberley, but I don't know. I mean, there's, I just, why else would they go? So, all right. On to... Becca's study questions. I'm gonna add one at the top here. So we are concluding volume the second. We started volume the second with the Bennets in disarray after Bingley left. Oh, yeah. Collins proposed to Charlotte and Mrs. Bennet decided to fake disown Lizzie. Yes. That's where we were. We are finishing volume the second and I would say kind of a different place. Would you like to speak to sort of what you think volume the second gave to the book as opposed to volume the first? So volume the first was a lot of Longbourn, this family as a unit, how they work as a group. And volume the second got to see each of them kind of on their own. Lizzie by herself, Jane by herself, Lydia is now by herself, Kitty is separated from Lydia, Mary has always been by herself. But we even got a little bit of a critique of the parents on their own as separate from 
the children got to see how they were just now Mm -hmm. when they were young. The dynamic is different because they all kind of got to grow on their own for a hot second, specifically Lizzie and specifically Jane. How's the plot shifted in this (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, leading question. Darcy's good. Wickham's bad. Collins is fine. Charlotte is the same as ever. Lizzie has a secret. Bingley is cleared. Jane doesn't know. How will this fadge? How will this fadge? How will this fadge? How will this fadge? I love that. I love, <laughs> that's a Twelfth Night reference, guys. I'm so sorry. We're we're Shakespeare nerds. Yes, we are. So. so, all right, that brings me to my next question, and this goes to Jane's reaction to the whole debacle. And I wanted to compare the way she's taking in the information to the way Lizzie's taking in the information, because Lizzie's mostly our narrator, mm-hmm. but Jane is getting. At least half of the same information that Lizzie just got. Yes. Jane responded in the most Jane way that Jane could have Janeed. Um, Jane, Jane's on brand so hard. Like, Lizzie's a bit more uh, dynamic as a character sometimes because she has a little bit more variance, whereas Jane, and this is like a testament to Jane as a character, but also Austin being like a titch too consistent with Jane as a character. She, like, she goes to her old faithful, like... The world is good. Jane loves everyone. Yeah. Jane is stressed about the information. She feels bad for everyone involved, even Wickham. She, she, there was a moment in here where she said Wickham probably feels bad about what he did. I don't think that Wickham could give two hoots about Darcy, about Georgie, though Jane doesn't know that part. Mm-hmm. Um, does Jane know that part? Um, it's actually not totally clear. It's, I yeah, don't we remember. just know that Lizzie left out everything about Bingley, but... It's quite possible that she did tell Jane about Georgie. She probably did. What does Lizzie's interaction with Jane tell us about how Lizzie's feeling about the whole thing? I think that a telling moment is when Jane says, Lizzie, when you first read that letter, I am sure you could not treat the matter as you do now. And I think that that's a telling moment because Jane really knows Lizzie. And she can see that Lizzie is being really calm about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. This shows that Lizzie has more feelings about it than she's letting on. All right, next question. I want to go back a little bit to the Daddy Bennett evaluation, Mrs. Bennett. I think this passage, maybe I just am a little bit more fair to Mrs. Bennett than Lizzie is in general, but I do think this passage smacks of a little bit of an unreliable narrator moment from the other side of the coin, which is... We really didn't see much to critique about the Bennets. They were kind of just funny for the first half of the book, and now we're getting this clearer lens on them where Lizzie's like, oh, my reputation is being stymied by my parents and my siblings. Yeah. And she's really going in on her parents' marriage. Maybe I'm biased here, but I think that her parents have a little bit more love in their marriage than Lizzie is saying. Yes, I think that she is going way too far. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I that just like burst out of me, but (laughs) here's the thing. Her mother, yes. When Darcy first said all of these things, she was thinking in her head, she was like, yeah, I guess it... It's true that my mom can be a bit much, but no one could ever be mean about my dad. Like, no one could ever find anything wrong with my dad. So that must have been, it was my mom and all these things. Like, at first, the fact that she is going now and saying that her dad should have done a better job at reeling in his wife and his kids and blah, 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 blah. Like, I I think that you also are showing some bias here. Listen, I'm a little prejudiced. <laughs> but, the title. Yes. But Lizzie is now taking Darcy's words so t- to heart that she's finding fault where there re- isn't really one. I mean, sure, a little bit, but she's finding it everywhere now. And I think it might have hurt her in a similar way to she's tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt me where a seed was planted and then grew Mm -hmm. this seed of shame was planted and is growing yes i totally agree i also think it speaks to how lizzie sees romance again and yes this also plays into her disdain for charlotte's marriage Mm -hmm. her want for something very specific for herself Mm -hmm. because her parents are not a love match per se they're not well, they, they kind of are a love match. They're they were like a quote sexy match. Well, they were, quote, unsuitable when they right. got married. Yeah, Lizzie and Darcy would be unsuitable. Well, it depends on who you're asking. Yes. 
But I think Lizzie's still showing signs of judging other people's marriages very harshly. Yeah. So Lizzie, calm down on this. Yeah, Lizzie, it's not that deep. I mean, yeah. I guess that's what the whole book is about. But. Yeah, and this is just our perspective. You guys, if you think that the Bennets are a sham of a couple... Please uh, email us at potandprejudice at gmail.com. This is an open dialogue. We just happened to stand Mr. Bennett pretty hard on this podcast. None of us saw this coming. Least of all you. <laughs> all right. So the next question I have is if you have predictions for Brighton, for Lydia, for her South okay. Beach vacay. I was just thinking about this when we were talking about unsuitable matches and what if this isn't a prediction that i have anything to mm -hmm. base it upon but what if lydia came back engaged to an officer Ooh, that's it okay i don't see what else could happen there i'm actually. not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna confirm or deny that great as i say i i feel like i'm great at pleading the fifth at this part <laughs> part of the podcast that, yeah. now i'm just like nope not gonna say anything did we learn anything new about Kitty in this chapter? Yeah. Kitty actually has a bit of um, feistiness in her that I think we didn't get to see before because, as Lizzie said, she will blindly follow Lydia wherever she goes. But Kitty was really upset that she didn't get to go to Brighton, and I don't think it... Well, actually, I guess it could just be because she doesn't know what to do on her own, and it could just be because she wants to follow Lydia blindly wherever she goes. But also, maybe she wanted to keep flirting with the officers. I think there's a very telling line in the last chapter where it talks about what's happened once Lydia's been away for like three weeks. Uh-huh. Where it says that Kitty's actually starting to like tone down. Mm -hmm. And Lizzie's all hopeful that she'll never speak of officers again no, soon. No, that she'll, she'll only mention officers once a day. Exactly. Soon. So I do think there is a de-Lydia-ing happening of Kitty in this chapter. Yeah, how long is uh, Kit Lydia going to be gone? You almost said Kitty-a. I did. Just Lydia. She's like kind of on this trip the way that Lizzie's on uh, the gardener's trip. I hope that Kitty meets someone in Longbourn, I mean in Maryton or, you know, around and gets to just have her own adventure. I mean, she is two years older than Lydia yeah. after all. We want Kitty to have her own story, her own solo journey. Hashtag spinoff for Kitty on this yes. podcast. Remember when I thought Kitty was sick and then it You also thought she was eight. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Kitty was eight and I thought that she was sick. And now it turns out we do have a character whose one trait is being sick, but it's not Kitty. Mm-hmm. And I did think of little baby de Berg when you uh, mentioned that you thought Kitty was sick. I was like, oh, you'll know. <laughs> so... Then I have one question that I'm going to combine with another question that's going to end it before we get to my standbys. Okay. Uh, predictions for Pemberley, and by extension, predictions for volume the third. So, as I said, mm -hmm. there's no way that Darcy's not at Pemberley. Unless he's not. I mean, he could not be, but if he's not, maybe Lizzie just, like, gets an idea of, like, oh, do you think that Georgie Darcy's at Pemberley? Becca's just I mean, I know me. the answer to that question. <laughs> um, something's going to happen at Pemberley that's going to give Lizzie a greater understanding of Darcy. And at some point in volume the third, because I know societally that Lizzie has to end up with Darcy and because I'm shipping it, Lizzie has to fall in love with Darcy. I'm not going to say that she's not already a little bit. She just doesn't know it yet. But Lizzie has to fall in love with Darcy because in my brain, Kira Knightley and Colin Firth get together at the end of the movie. Again, they're they're not in the same movie. <laughs> they are in love actually together, but they do not end up together at the end of that film. Nor do they really interact. No, they don't. <laughs> that's a weird, that's a, that film has some problems, but a better version the holiday so that someone's yeah. got something's gonna happen at pemberley lizzie's gonna fall in love with darcy i think it would be dope if kitty found a love interest what if lydia pulls the youngest fiddler on the roof daughter and runs away with an officer and gets disowned by her family i think it would be cool yeah maybe jane will get back together with bingley and they'll have a beautiful joint wedding okay so that brings us to our standby questions funniest quote so I did already read this one out loud, but it's great. Hem, hem, hem. I'll just read this whole little section. So Lizzie says that Bingley is never coming back to Netherfield, and Mrs. Bennet says, Oh, well, it is just as he chooses. Nobody wants him to come, though I shall always say that he used my daughter extremely ill, and if I was her, I would not have put up with it. 
Well, my comfort is, I am sure Jane will die of a broken heart, and then he will be sorry for what he has done. We love a dramatic woman. She's so overdramatic. She's extremely dramatic. Questions moving forward. Who is Darcy gonna be at Pemberley? Will Lizzie ever see him again and talk to him and tell her feelings? Uh, tell him that she forgives him or... If that would be a weird thing to say, that might be a weird thing to say. See, even you're awkward about this. Yeah, this, this is, is what Lizzie wants to avoid. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Who wins the chapters? Oh, boy. Who wins the ch- Oh, man. This one's kind of tough. This is really hard. My go-to when nobody wins the chapters is like, Daddy Bennett wins the chapter. But, like, we did see some negative sides from him. Why don't we give it to the chambermaid? The chambermaid? You said I mean, Darcy was gonna be there. Said Darcy wasn't gonna be there. <laughs> I was thinking either either something along those lines, or giving it to Darcy. Though he is not in these chapters, he has shifted our views so much that these chapters became very much more complex than they would have been otherwise. We can give it to Darcy, or giving it to Kitty because she deserves a win. Let's give it to Kitty. Hashtag spinoff for Kitty. Spinoff for Kitty. All right, guys, that's the conclusion of this episode of Pod and Prejudice. It's been an excellent volume the second. Next time we will get into volume the, the third. third. And you will get to uh, follow Molly as she follows Lizzie on Lizzie's grand adventure through that part. Through uh, Pemberley. Through not Pemberley lake. landscapes. Ooh. Ooh, landscapes. Anyway, guys, until next time, stay proper. And find yourself a husband. Or a wife. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.